Rogers under center, takes a knee, and that'll do it. Ladies and gentlemen, this was a battle between a program with a winning culture and a program that does not have a winning culture. And at the end of the day, the program with the winning culture, Oklahoma State, prevails against the program that does not have a winning culture, the University of Texas. I mean, I hate to play it today. Actually, I really don't care. I actually love playing it today. But I just had a lot of people text on Saturday Saturday night saying, dude, you got to play the Hunziker clip on Monday during the show after that 48-0 loss uh, to Kansas State. That's got to be, ugh, in terms of unexpected results in college football this year, forget just the Big 12, that's got to be number one for me. Because what that's the um, – Largest margin of defeat, like what was it? Largest margin of defeat by two teams in the top 25 by the lower ranked team, something like that. I mean, it was, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm still just absolutely floored that that happened. Adrian Martinez didn't even play. It doesn't matter. That was the best I've seen the Kansas State offense look since, well, geez, Josh, since they played at Norman about a month ago. Yeah. No kidding. And with the backup quarterback, you know, Doing that, Will Howard's been great. Uh, probably they win that TCU game if uh, he's able to play the duration of it. Uh, it's, uh, you know, for, for Hunziker, I like Hunziker. I like listening to him and Holcomb. I think they do a good job. But, but. Why did he feel the need to make himself the story after the Texas game? Why? Why does he constantly, from a play-by-play perspective, I, I just – that's one in look. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm broadcasting Oklahoma State games or, you know, have done this game or that game at the same level. But one thing that has always been part of my play by play credence is do not make the broadcast about yourself. And guess what? When you make the broadcast about yourself, it took all of one week for all of the jokes to write themselves. And you know what? Hunziker deserves it. <sighs> Pretty terrible timing, wasn't it? Could there have been worse timing? I don't know if there could have been. Uh, that was – the Texas game was one of the gutsiest wins of the Mike Gundy era. One of the best wins of the Mike Gundy era for Oklahoma State. And they turned around, and that was maybe the worst loss of the Mike Gundy era. And, you know, we had questions after OU got blanked by Texas. How are they going to get off the mat? How, how are they going to respond? And I know Oklahoma State still has a lot to play for. Um, they still are mathematically very much in the Big 12 title race. But now I think it's a very fair question to ask, Josh. After getting beat 48 nothing by a backup quarterback, how does Oklahoma State respond after this? Because they still got some tough games remaining, including this weekend at Kansas. And, of course, they still got to go to Norman and play an OU team that looks like they're getting better. Well, and with uh, Sanders exiting you know, with the injury, what does that mean? For, for them versus Kansas, I know they're still, what, a little bit more than a field goal favorite in the game. I mean, yeah, all of a sudden their prognosis, their future the rest of the way, looks pretty cloudy when for a moment it looked like maybe Oklahoma State was the clear-cut, head-and-shoulders best team in this this league, and now you can't say that. Yeah. Look, I, and I've been pretty consistent on this. Um, you you, you got to beat Oklahoma State this year, even when – it looked like they were maybe going to be favored in the game a few weeks ago. Still, the point was the same. You can't lose to Oklahoma State and Texas in the same year. 
Bob Snoops never did that. He did a great job at beating his rivals. You, you just can't this year lose to both OSU and Texas in the same year. Is there a chance there's even more pressure to win that OSU game after what happened on Saturday in that 48 nothing loss? Is there is any chance that that's the case whatsoever? I know the two games aren't necessarily linked, but OSU just lost 48 nothing. Does that put any more pressure on OU not to lose to those guys at home? Well, yeah, in a sense it might because I, I think that clearly the thought process on whether or not that game is, you know, the level of winnability of the Bedlam game has it's, – it's shifting back in terms of Oklahoma's favor here. And if Oklahoma beats uh, Baylor, Oklahoma would be favored versus uh, Oklahoma State. I have no doubt about that for Bedlam if uh, they find a way to win these next couple of games. Yeah, uh, let's see. Mel says OSU could be on a three-game losing streak had Texas not imploded. 918 pokes in trouble. Little Gundy won't cut the mustard if he starts. Pokes could, uh, pokes could lose two more. Bedlam is one they lose for sure. Uh, this text says this OSU loss tells me that maybe hanging tight with K-State last month and only uh, losing because we blow a third and 16 is not as bad as we were once to believe. Well, there's no guarantee that you win the game, even if you get the stop on third and 16. You were down a touchdown at that point. You still had to go down and score, and you were going to have to stop them again uh, in overtime, most likely to win. So I, it doesn't really change my opinion of the OSU loss to Kansas State. They played really bad defensively that night. Um, I, yeah, it doesn't change my opinion whatsoever. But, yeah, I mean, the, the road for Oklahoma State is, is interesting now, and on the text line, dude, two weeks ago, there was this defeatist feel that, well, yeah, maybe we can get to bowl eligibility and get to six wins, but they're going to lose the Oklahoma State game. I mean, come on, they're going to lose the OSU game. I, I just read some text right there, and all of a sudden, the text line is flipped and saying, well, yeah, o- OSU, they'll, o- OU will definitely win that game. It's amazing how quickly things can change. Yeah, a couple of wins, man. A couple of wins and, you know, some defensive improvement mixed in with just the total annihilation of Oklahoma State uh, this this past weekend has changed people's feelings on the game. Let's see. Uh, I said beginning of last week, you know, Plank and I were kicking it around, and he was asking the question, is this the game versus Iowa State to where for Oklahoma you get a pretty good idea of what the rest of the year looks like, right? And I think a lot of people felt yeah. that way about the Iowa State game for OU that if OU could go up there and win in Ames, okay, well – now, all of a sudden, this is an OU team that genuinely is capable of winning every game. And I said then, and I still feel this way now, because of how bad Iowa State was offensively, that for me, it was this week versus Baylor when I would find out sort of what the, the rest of Oklahoma's year is going to look like. So I do feel better about where Oklahoma's at, but I would caution anybody before they get to the point to where all of a sudden – say that to get to this point with Oklahoma State if you're if you're counting up wins the rest of the way versus anybody with this Oklahoma team because they beat Kansas and Iowa State I would tell you to caution things a little bit before they haven't gone out and beaten Baylor yet I'm good I'm good with that point so let me try to like summarize it the right way um the past two games it's told us that this team has gotten better but how much better are they really We'll find out Saturday against Baylor. That'll be a much better indicator than the Iowa State or the Kansas game. Is that basically what you're saying? Correct. Because if that's the case, then I, I I agree with that. Yeah. And not that Baylor is some sort of a top 10 or top 15 team. They've definitely been hot and cold this year. 
They were pretty hot, that win in uh, Lubbock on Saturday night, by the way. They routed a Tech team that was playing pretty well. But, no, I'm good with that. You're better. Yes, let's acknowledge it. Let's talk about it. Let's even celebrate it. How much better are you really? Baylor will be maybe not the final indicator, but the best indicator that you've had uh, in the past few weeks. No doubt. During if and when you play well and win this weekend, it'll be easily the best win of the three for Oklahoma. Yeah, and I guess that kind of goes to the question of, all right, well, what now? (laughs) What should you expect now? You just played – you just had your best defensive performance in conference play this year. What can we expect from the defense moving forward? What can we expect from the offense moving forward? And and I'm not asking, like, a total number of wins, win-loss from here on out. Just, like, what what can we expect from this team moving forward? And here's kind of how I'm going to go about it, Josh. I'm still going about things where I think that you're going to have to win games with your offense down the stretch. Now, did the defense, was that the main reason that you won the game on Saturday? Yes, and I didn't think that that was going to be the case. I'm very impressed by that. I don't think that that's going to be the norm throughout the final four games of the year. I still think that this is a team that is better on the offensive side of the ball. I think they're offensively led. This defense, I will expect some good moments, but I'll also expect some bad along with it. But I think what happens in these next four games kind of depends on how well the offense plays. That's kind of how I'm approaching the the final stretch run of the season. Yeah, just because uh, defensively you went up and played, it it did what you were supposed to do versus Iowa State. That's why I say let's let this week play out versus Baylor before we start making those larger conclusions about where Oklahoma now officially is. If Oklahoma's good defensively versus Baylor, then Tyler, they might have worked some of the kinks out. And then all of a sudden you you can feel like, okay, well, Let's let's win the final three games after that. Let's finish this regular season nine and three. Until then, I mean, yeah, you're probably still in that neighborhood to where realistically you should probably be expecting to try and outscore people and get a stop here and there. I don't know that we can, because of what happened in Ames, radically change what we already know about this Oklahoma defense. By the way, speaking of the Baylor game, have you seen the weather forecast for Saturday? Because Reed Timmer, who uh, is a fan of the ref and also a big OU fan, he tweeted out today a multi-day severe weather event starting on Thursday and ending on Saturday. And that threat kind of goes right through the, the heart of Oklahoma. It really covers the entire state, but it looks like Norman is definitely included in that multi-day period of significant severe weather Uh, possible Thursday and Saturday so I don't know what Saturday like what it's going to look like but it kind of looks like several days out of course things can change but it could be a very wet one on a Saturday afternoon which you know kind of is a mixed bag for if that's the case does it favor Oklahoma because run defense up until Iowa State has been kind of the big kryptonite for Oklahoma defensively, and yet you have uh, maybe the the best running back, at least per carry, has been uh, one of the nation's best running backs, was leading the nation going into this last week in Eric Gray. So I like that part for Oklahoma, having to lean on the run game a little bit. I think offensively is good. Defensively, okay. Now now you got me uh, not as fired up about it. Yeah. If our defense keeps the pace, Dylan Gabriel can make a win happen, says the 918. 
Peyton says, I think if we beat Baylor, I'll have confidence in us going 3-0. and Yeah, Peyton, I think a lot of people, if you beat Baylor on Saturday and play well defensively again, yeah, there's going to be some real confidence that you can go 3-0. and May have to move it to a night game, says the text line. Well, hey, you can now that you have it on ESPN+. Plus. Since it's on ESPN+, Plus, Josh, you can move the game to whenever you want, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we can, you can play it on Friday. Play it on Sunday if you want. Who cares? It's ESPN+. Plus. Uh, was that a middle finger, by the way, putting this game on ESPN Plus at 2, 2 p.m.? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so, right? But th- there is a little bit of a part of me that's like, it's Oklahoma, and, you know, you're trying to grow the digital platform, and Oklahoma fans are going to buy the they're going to buy ESPN Plus, right, to watch this game. So I do think there's an element of that to this, but generally speaking, it's an indication that, yeah, Oklahoma's lost three games and Baylor's lost three games. Text line, I continue to be encouraged by the running game. Iowa State was leading the conference in rush defense, and OU was still able to run the ball effectively with Eric Gray and without Barnes. Baylor, after the weekend's games, now leads the conference in rushing defense, so it will be another challenge for OU's running game. Any word on Barnes? Uh, it's a hamstring injury, right? Isn't that what uh, Brent Venable said after the game? Mm-hmm. And that one's so kind of up in the air, especially with running backs. Um, that can be an injury that lingers for the rest of the year, or it could be very minor, and he's back out on the field next week. I, I honestly, I have no feel for how serious that injury is because it was such a surprise that he didn't travel with the team on on Saturday. The good news is that, and I know that Major's numbers didn't really just, they weren't eye-popping, and he didn't rush for over 100 yards, but I still thought that for the most part, Marcus Major was pretty good. And what I thought about Marcus Major is kind of the same thing for Eric Gray. Against the conference-leading rush defense, I thought OU's backs did a good job of falling forward. Um, First contact was made, and it felt like they were consistently – you know, getting a yard, a yard and a half up the field after first contact. I don't know if you felt that way, but I thought the backs did a really good job of that on Saturday. Well, and just looking at the health situation in the backfield with Marcus Major having dealt with what? He dealt with the the, the prolonged ankle injury. I didn't see any signs of that looking like it was lingering for him. I mean, just physically the way that he ran looked like what we're accustomed to seeing there. So in a world where we'll see about Javante Barnes, his availability and how quickly he is or is not available behind Eric Gray, obviously you'd like to have more than just Eric Gray in your backfield to uh, to hand the football off to at times. It's nice to come out of this game, if nothing else, right? Regardless of what the, the numbers looked like for Marcus Major, physically he looked right, Tyler. Yeah, well, and, geez, I, I can't believe we – Talk about burying one of the big leads of the game. A, a guy that was back from injury. How about Billy Bowman, man? I mean, he didn't play the entire game necessarily. He got a good number of snaps in from what I could tell, and he didn't, like, make any sort of a huge play in the game that we all remember. But, man, just having Billy Bowman back out there, just his presence back in the back end of the defense is huge for this defense and maybe a reason why – the defense played better on Saturdays because Billy Bowman was inserted back into the lineup. He didn't play every single snap, but I just think his presence on the defense is so massive. And now you got him back. Now you can expect him to play moving forward. I think he's the best player that you have on defense. Talk about injured players coming back. 
getting Bowman back is huge. And I don't think I have to tell anybody but that, but that's massive. Well, right now he's probably, I mean, he has been Oklahoma's best defensive player, most people would say, uh, so far this season. So getting him back and in the process, some other guys getting live game action, I don't think is all bad of a combination, right, to get your star player back but then mix it with some guys that have been out there and at times had, uh, had positive results. Yeah. All right, who was the under-the-radar player on Saturday? We'll tell you uh, coming up next, as we do every single Monday at 420, 405-651-3439. Give us your under-the-radar player from Saturday and uh, more of your questions and comments from this game on Saturday as well. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Sooner fans. Boy Street Ventures bringing you the under-the-radar player. Boy Street Ventures, they're supporting OU innovation by funding startups within the OU ecosystem. For more information, go to boystreetventures.com. That's boystreetventures.com. Since uh, Josh Helmer is a guest today on the show, and by the way, I, I do appreciate him doing all three hours of the Plank Show and then filling in today here in the afternoon. I'll let you have the tee box. Uh, I'll let you go first. Who is your under-the-radar player from OU's win over Iowa State on Saturday? You know, just because it kind of gets lost in translation because of the the other interceptions after it, stats-wise, it wouldn't be, you know, quote-unquote under-the-radar. But, you know, somebody that hasn't necessarily played great at times and you've been looking forward to play great is Woody Washington, right? And his – play though it probably should not have yeah. been an interception right I think uh, most people that aren't looking at it looking I at was it shocked. With their, yeah that they didn't overturn it yeah me too but uh, that really kind of set the tone for how the the whole afternoon would play out was that Oklahoma was here to play defensively in the game so you know we could point to the Dylan Gabriel pass to Farouk or obviously uh, you know there's a special teams play that was pretty important but uh, I just thought under the radar, it kind of maybe gets forgotten because it was early in the game, but Woody Washington has one of, had one of his finer games and I thought set the tone. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because that was a break, and OU hasn't gotten a ton of breaks defensively this year. It shouldn't have been an interception. It clearly hit the ground, but it was a break defensively. Normally, it feels like a break that goes against you and how about another break and a play from Saturday that nobody is talking about but I thought it was massive and maybe you'll remember it I think it was late second quarter Iowa State has the ball on the plus side of the field and it's a third and one and then they snap it over Hunter Decker's head for like a 13 yard loss yep and they have to punt it away on the very next you remember that play oh yeah it was huge dude I think you're only up by a touchdown at that point that play was massive they had some momentum they snap it. Like, those are the types of things as an OU fan this year you'd say, geez, that feels like something we would do. But you got a couple of defensive breaks on Saturday, and uh, it felt good. But, no, I, I think uh, I think Woody Washington's a good place to start for under-the-radar player. My under-the-radar player, and I don't know how under-the-radar he was because he was fantastic, Michael Turk, man. And let's start with the touchdown pass that he had uh, to Zach Schmidt, perfectly executed from his uh, holder position there on the field goal. But six punts for 296 yards, 49.3-yard average, two punts inside the 20, including one that was down inside the three-yard line, if I remember correctly. 
a 61-yarder that was a, just a booming punt. He punted from his own end zone a couple of times, and normally you're saying to yourself, oh, geez, Iowa State's going to get the ball at like the 30 or the 35-yard line, and maybe they might even spring a big return and take it to the house. But I think both times Turk punted from his own end zone, Iowa State was getting the ball right around midfield. He's co-special teams player of the week in the conference. I don't know who could have been better than him this past week. Mike Turk may have had his best game as a Sooner on Saturday. He's my under-the-radar player. Yeah, he was awesome. And even though the one that got downed in deep right before the uh, Stutzman interception, even though you had the big Deckers run before it, right? I mean, it just flipping the field was uh, was important there. And he's, you know, he's been great. He's been largely great. It's easy to not think about a punter's contributions at times, but anytime you punt six times and it goes for an average of 49 yards, two of which get downed inside the 20, did a pretty pretty dang good job. And, uh, you know, I, I said earlier, talking about the fake that was executed so perfectly, it gets – you know, you don't think about it because it goes great, right? The execution of the play is perfect. But somebody that doesn't, in in that capacity, operate a fake very often to flip it beautifully to Schmidt is, you know, we can't forget about that. That that was an yeah. important puzzle piece on Saturday. No, so he was, he was awesome. And he's had a lot of great games. Texas game last year, he was really, really good. Uh, but that may have been his best game as a Sooner. He was awesome. Under the Radar Player, brought to you by Board Street Ventures. They are investing in OU Innovation. They're a venture, a venture capital firm that funds and guides promising Sooner startups. For more information, go to BoydStreetVentures.com. That's BoydStreetVentures.com, giving you the Under the Radar Player. Josh is going with Woody Washington. I am going with Michael Turk. The text line, Isaiah Coe. He was dominating the line of scrimmage. Uh, from the 918 under the radar, Turk with two 60 plus yard punts flipping the field. Another texture of the 918 says Trey Morrison. Good pick. Brian in Tulsa says Josh Helmer equals MVP. So, congratulations. For one afternoon, yeah. For one afternoon. But Trey Morrison. He's my MVP today, trust me. I, I, if I have an under the radar player <laughs> for today's show, it's Josh helping me out for these three hours. Trey Morrison, though. And thank you for the kind words. Trey, Trey Morrison was really, really pretty good in this game. And I want to say, I'll pull the numbers up here in a second. And look, uh, pro football focus, I say it a lot on here, is not the gospel, but it's interesting, if nothing else, for snap counts and occasionally sort of how they grade things. I want to say that Trey Morrison was their highest graded player defensively for Oklahoma. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Trey Morrison had what three solo tackles? He doesn't go down as a as a pass defended or anything like that. But no, I mean he he showed up quite a bit on Saturday. I I don't think it's a bad take at all to say that he played well. Deshaun White though, um, he led the team in tackles. He had ten solo tackles, one and a half t- TFLs. He's taken a lot of crap this year, man. He really has, but Deshaun White was really good. And, and I don't think that all of that has been fair. I think a lot of that is because people have wanted to see more Jaron Canick. So Deshaun White has been immediately labeled as someone that can't play. He was all over the place, though. Deshaun White was excellent against Iowa State. Yeah, 14 tackles, and, you know, he's being asked to, to cover more than he has at uh, any point in the, the past. So he's being asked to do some things that maybe aren't quite as natural as uh, 
as he's uh, accustomed to just flying downhill and in making uh, plays. By the way, I'm totally wrong on Trey Morrison. He's way toward the bottom of the PFF grades. It was Key Lawrence that uh, was at the top for pro football focus, for anybody that cares about that sort of stuff. Best putter since Josh Way. I remember Tress Way. But, yeah, if you want to say that Turk is the best punter since uh, Tress Way, uh, I mean, is that is that debatable? I feel like that's a slam dunk. Oh, I don't – yeah, I don't think it's very close, is it? No, and as I said earlier, this is the best special teams group collectively that you've had since – jeez, man, I don't even – I don't even know the last time. You've been this good at punter and kicker. It's been a while since you've had – and not to say that, you know, everyone the past 20 years has been crap. That's not the case. But these two guys are playing really, really well, really well right now. Zach Schmidt had 15 of our 27 points, says the text line. Doesn't get any more under the radar than that. He scored a touchdown, yeah, 15 of the 27 points, and he has been nails all year long. Kicker was a big question mark going into this year. You didn't really know what you were going to have after Gabe Burkich left a year early. And I don't know if the OU staff thought that he was going to leave a year early. Maybe that caught him by surprise. But, I, I mean, I, I think you've been better at kicker this year than you than you were last year, up to this point anyway. He's been really good. Uh, been consistent. Just the, the one miss. And, you know, a 34-yarder, you feel like you should – make just about every time right but a 41 yarder you start getting past that 40 yard distance and out and especially for college guys I mean look I I'm like you out there everybody I think you should make every single kick but uh, you know realistically you start getting past that 40 yard and out mark and that's where maybe it gets a little bit dicey and for the most part I mean obviously save for the one kick Schmidt has hit all of them and he got both on Saturday and it was important Turk by the way sixth nationally right right now in punting average Kendall we did not say that Turk is above Tressway will you please listen we said that he's the best punter since Tressway jeez um South Dakota Sooner says the ref crew at Jethro's equals MVP well good I'm glad that you were able to uh, catch up with those guys and um hang hang out after uh, or during the post game as well so hey the ref army showed up Ref Army showed up at Jethro's and Ames, and the Ref Army definitely showed up at Vin Pizza on Britain on Saturday. We park, uh, packed out another restaurant, Josh. We packed out restaurants in Oklahoma City, Ames, Iowa, um, let's see, Omaha, Nebraska this year. When the Ref Army is called upon, they answer. It's pretty awesome. Ref Army undefeated in 2022. Hang the banner. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to hang a banner for the Ref Army. They've, they've been great this year. All right, 405-651-3439. We'll get to some of your texts coming up next. you got comments on under-the-radar players and more. We'll hit those on the other side. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. We're the Homeless Suter fans. Central Oklahoma Buick GMC dealers. Bringing you this hour of the rush, Tyler McComish, Josh Helmer, with you until 6 p.m. Happy Halloween, everyone! Which, speaking of this holiday, my wife and I took our 12-year-old and uh, her friend to a haunted house on Friday night. Right? Okay. So you tell me. I, I don't know if you've ever been to a haunted house before. 
tell me, and this is like a sign that I'm so cheap, but tell me how much you think it would cost to take four people to a haunted house. What would be your guess, ballpark mm. estimate? I don't know, like 80 bucks. Eight, oh, wow. $72, and I about – that was the scariest thing of the haunted house yeah, it is, is the $72. I did not expect to pay it front. And I didn't really grow up going to haunted house. It had been, like, forever since I had been to one. But we got there, and I was $72, really? And the haunted house lasted, like, 10 minutes. So it was, like, 18 so, a person? Like I said. It was eighteen a person. Yes. Oh, like, dang! Man. Really? Did they have somebody with the be a uh, cheap nights? Was there was there a chainsaw minus the uh, the chains? Yeah, there there was a chainsaw there. Like he didn't chase after anyone. Oh, just kind of stood there weak. and revved it up. It was it was pretty soft. It was very soft actually for a haunted house. But at the same place, I guess this next weekend, they turn all of the lights off in this huge like building. And the actors, as they call them, can touch you. They couldn't touch you on Friday night. They can touch you. And, like, you go five to a group, and you have to hold on to a rope because it's in the dark so someone can lead you where to go. Yeah, I'm out I'm, on that. I'm totally out on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I, there's no way. No, thanks. I don't, uh, I don't need to act tough. I, I, you know, I, I'm beyond trying to get scared and going to the haunted house and this and that. I'll, I'll let the uh, other fright goers enjoy it. My totally cheap for complaining about $72 for a haunted house for four people? It's fine. I, I, I mean, I wear it if that's the case. I'm just wondering. That's cheap <laughs> I mean, of me. I don't blame you for, for feeling that that's a little excessive, especially when, uh, what, the chainsaw guy's not even running around after you? I mean, that should at yeah. least be a $10 yeah. discount. Uh, text line says that's cheap. Most are 30 to $40 each. Jeez, really? Okay. <laughs> now I'm going to be better prepared in the uh, Halloweens to come, I guess, that haunted houses normally run you that much. Okay. Okay. Good to know. You know what uh, What else was better on Saturday? Though there's still some on the text line saying, well, what did you really accomplish? You played a crappy team. Well, you, you didn't really do anything. All right, that's fine. You can have that take. Whatever. Time of possession was better again for the second consecutive game, Josh. You won time of possession against Kansas, and you lost the time of possession against Iowa State, but it was pretty even. OU had the ball for 29 minutes and 15 seconds, so it was like 51-49. It was really close. Like This team was getting blown out in time of possession early on in the year, but I guess there's something else that they're starting to even that up quite a bit more. Yeah, part of it is, you know, they're improving – in the run game and probably trying to be more cognizant of not not going lightning fast, right, of helping the defense out a little bit. We hear that when uh, people talk about complimentary football, that the way you operate offensively, you have to be mindful of that to help your defense out a little bit. And as soon as you find out early in the season, okay, this is maybe not the defense we were hoping or thinking that this defense was going to wind up being, then, okay, that's – you know, kind of pivot your plans a little bit. And obviously, yeah, Oklahoma has improved. If if partly by their own choice or if just uh, the structure of the game and execution within the game, yeah, they've definitely gotten better. 48-year-old male and former Army officer, you'll never get me to a haunted house. Send me back to Iraq any, any day. Hey, there you uh, go. Skip, skip the $82 and just go watch highlights of Oklahoma State's last game for a real fright. 
Uh, this one says all her friends are going to think I'm cheap and took her to the great value place where the chainsaw guy doesn't even chase you. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. They can think I'm cheap, but it was $82. Did uh, was Here's the loud. thing. Did the kids have fun? Oh, they had a great time. They were screaming the entire time. They were scared. Yeah, it was it was $82 well spent, I guess. There you and go. I mean, that's... me can, can, can agree with that. That's what's important, right, is that they had a a scary, scary fun time. Yeah. Yeah, there, there you go. I guess that's what matters. Uh, let's see. Weird to say this, but I think Dylan Gabriel was kind of an under-the-radar player on Saturday. He managed the game and didn't put us in bad situations and threw two deep dimes that should have been caught but were not. That's interesting. Um, I kind of see – I see the point there. Like, Dylan Gabriel's stat line doesn't look all that impressive with less than 150 yards passing, but his receivers didn't – you know, most notably, I guess, Marvin Mims. If he plays better, Dylan Gabriel's numbers look a whole lot better. So I, I see the point that you're getting at. And, yeah, I'm not going to criticize Dylan Gabriel for that performance at all because he did take care of the football – he didn't have, um, other than a couple of missed throws down the field, I thought all of his throws for the most part were pretty good. And if the receivers help him out, his numbers look a whole lot better. So I, I thought he was fine. I thought about Dylan Gabriel for most underrated, but it seemed like maybe a little bit too too obvious of low-hanging fruit, so I went a different direction. But I, I agree with a lot of what was said right there. One of the keys going into the game was, to me, Tyler, don't make that big mistake which we saw Iowa State make in this game, right, to set Oklahoma up with that final short field to really put the game out of reach and win the thing. I was worried about Oklahoma making that mistake for Iowa State in bailing their offense out. And if that had happened, probably you lose the game. But guess what? You didn't have that mistake, and your quarterback didn't make that mistake. Um, all right, let me read one more text, and I'll get to a question. Great trip to Ames. The fans were very nice but have completely forgot where they came from. Fans around us were booing their team far before the second half when it caught on. Also, after the OU interception with seven and a half minutes left in the game, they just started filing out. I asked why they would leave in a one-score game when they had just forced a three and out. They proceeded to tell me how bad their coaches and players are. How quick they are to forget how good they've had it and where they came from to get there. That's from Eric in Illinois. Uh, I'm, well, I, I guess a five-game losing streak will yeah. make some fans do some crazy things. I'm sure they're not. I, I guess I don't blame them for this year. They, they didn't come in with Big 12 title aspirations, but I'm sure they're thinking, come on, we can at least be a little bit better than this offensively because by the numbers, it said that Iowa State is, was the worst offense in the conference and Buddy, the eye test, that held up on Saturday. They are not a good offense. You know, there were a lot of people in the offseason, not that thought Iowa State was going to be in any way, shape, or form a Big 12 title contender, but people were not expecting Iowa State to be in the cellar. I think safely we can say, right, that people were feeling more that way about both Kansas and West Virginia as the bottom dwellers in this conference. And I would say that I was kind of rare in that, I felt like Iowa State was going to take a big step backwards because of a lot of the production that they lost. I was one of the few voices out there saying that Iowa State was maybe going to finish as the worst team in this league. So all of that is to get to this point that, 
look, Iowa State fans were kind of sold this idea that they were going to be a lot better than what they are right now, which is the worst team in the Big 12 Conference. So from that standpoint, I sort of get it, but I do understand what you're saying too, which is, look, Iowa State fans, I mean, come on. Just the fact that you're playing competitive football under Coach Campbell is a, you know, light years improvement from where this program historically has been. Yeah. You think he's in Ames next year? Like a five-game losing streak. I don't know how much his stock has has fallen with some other schools. I don't think he's necessarily going to get the Auburn job. But would Nebraska hire him? Maybe. Would Wisconsin hire him? Uh, I don't know. I I just wonder after this year and Xavier Hutchinson, I'm going to guess this is his last year in Ames, how much longer Campbell is going to be at Iowa State. I don't think he's going to get fired. I just wonder if this is the time around that he's going to take another job if it's available. If he can, yeah, I think that he would. But I, I don't know that his, you know, I think that he would be in option C at a, at a lot yeah. of those places. He's right a much now. tougher sell right now, for sure. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, it's going to take those schools swinging and missing, I think, on a couple of targets before Campbell gets offered one of those gigs. And, and if he does, then I think, yeah, there's a chance that a good chance, better than a chance in the past that he would say yes. But I don't know that he's going to get that opportunity because of how poorly this season and last season have played out. Fair point by Sean. Iowa State was 7-6 and six last year with Big 12 aspirations. They should be pissed about last year and this year. It's a fair point. They were like top 10. Were they top 10 preseason a year ago? I, I know yeah. at least in some polls they were. So, yeah, I – Eric, I, I think the frustration that you probably heard on Saturday was some about this year, but probably a carryover from last season. Well, and as soon as – you know how this is. Expectations are a funny thing. And just because you've been one thing historically, as soon as the expectations, as soon as you build it up to a place where they're different, well, now the expectations are different. And, frankly, this is not – this is not Iowa State from 20 years ago. They expect to be competitive now. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the, the way the fan base feels. Yeah, agree. All right, 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Caden McDonald, four-star defensive lineman out of North Gwinnett, Georgia, is set to announce uh, at the top of the hour. Now, it sounds like it's going to be Ohio State. At least that's where all the crystal balls uh, came in earlier this morning, Ohio State to get the four-star defensive lineman who's a really good player. OU is in the mix there. They're probably going to have a hat on the table. Uh, we'll let you know when that decision comes down, but I, I would tell you 10 minutes before 5 o'clock here that it looks like and sounds like it's going to be Iowa State. We'll close up hour number two, though, uh, of The Rush, live from Newcastle Casino. Keep it locked on the ref. Father of mine. Tell me, where have you been? You know, I just closed my eyes. My whole world is up here. Father of the Central Oklahoma view of GMC dealers bringing you this hour of the rush on a victory Monday. Tyler McComas and Josh Helmer. I'm at the Newcastle Casino, and the text line is asking, I bet, or let's see, bet Auburn goes after Levy? Why not? Money talks. Not a bad job. I, uh, yeah, I, I don't think Auburn's going to hire Jeff Levy or that Jeff Levy's going to be at the top of their list. That Apparently, reportedly, the top of Auburn's list is Lane Kiffin. Now, I don't think Auburn's going to get Lane Kiffin. My guess is that he stays at Ole Miss or maybe even takes another job at the end of the year, depending on what's open. Like, if you're concerned about losing Levy, I'd be way 
way more concerned about Ole Miss somehow being opened up and him getting that job than I would be the Auburn job. You agree with that? Lane Kiffin at Nebraska, is there any chance there? Um, okay, Nebraska would throw a ton of money at him. Auburn would throw a ton of money at him. I, I No, I, I don't think there's a chance of him at Nebraska. He just doesn't feel like a Big Ten coach, does he? No, no, he doesn't. Because of this, he's a warm weather guy. Very, very. He, he does not want. He does not want cold weather. Not <laughs> agreed. His style. Yeah, agreed. I, I think it really is just the weather thing with Lane Kiffin. It's like I can't envision him coaching games in November in Nebraska. So, but uh, yeah, I, I I'd be surprised if he winds up at Auburn because in in part because of the you know history with Nick Saban, right? I mean, do you want to go coach at the school that is his arch rival? I know that you're already division rivals right now but i mean that's amping it up a notch uh this text says do y'all think spencer sanders is going to play the rest of this season he looked like he was in a lot of pain leaving the field on saturday i i don't know the full extent of his injury i would not be shocked whatsoever if he can't play on saturday and man i think i might pick kansas to beat them in lawrence and ku to get their sixth win my, my monday early week feel is that ku wins that game i think the spread is osu minus two I think I'm going to pick KU to win. Yeah, and if it's uh, Gundy out there, are you like some other folks out here that have seen the video of his hands shaking and that concerns you for the immediate for Oklahoma State? No, I mean, look, I, I think that there is a lot of kids, you know, that, that would have been shaking in, you know, going out there on the field for the first I, – I just think it's it's natural for a young kid to be – yeah, a little bit nervous going out there. So I'm not going to pile on and, you know, make fun of him like everyone else is. I, I think that's kind of human nature for a young kid, especially at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, – look, I get it's Oklahoma State and this and that, but uh, it's almost kind of lousy that that one moment was caught in the way that it's caught and has gotten shared virally the way that it has for somebody that, again, is, you know, really kind of seeing their first collegiate action, right? Yeah, this text says 48-0 makes whatever his injury is hurt a hell of a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Any insight regarding finding a big run stuffer? How is Alton Tarber progressing, the 1D lineman we have uh, over 300 pounds? <sighs> finding a big run stuffer? Well, Caden McDonald. We'll find out here in, it's supposed to be at 5 o'clock, top of the hour. Sounds like he's going to pick Ohio State, but you, you, you do have a slight chance there, but... All of your eggs are in the David Hicks basket when you're talking about inside or interior defensive linemen, Josh. And I'm not telling you to think that he's going to flip from A&M to OU, but apparently his family's really monitoring that situation at Texas A&M. And it does sound like this situation is one where I don't have to convince OU to root against Texas A&M, but if you really want David Hicks and you should want David Hicks, you should really root against Texas A&M to completely implode because I think that that would give OU. Whatever their chances are right now, and they may not be that great, but A&M not finding their way to a bowl game will improve the odds of David Hicks signing with OU in December. Final hour of the rush is coming up next. Keep it locked right here on The Ref. Me and Dale were singing.